in the book of Luke, chapter 2, Luke, chapter 2. And as you turn there this morning, whether that's in your Bible or on your device, whichever way that you're looking at God's Word with us this morning, I want us just to utter a brief prayer together as a congregation uh, to ask the Father to, to do what, what only He can do, because He is our great teacher. And if any one of us walk out of here this morning change different, uh, if we leave here uh, better than we came in, then it will have nothing to do with the mouthpiece on the stage, because trust me, I have nothing to give to you this morning except only what Christ has given us in His Word. So uh, it, it will have nothing to do with anything that's been done on this stage, but it will be a testimony of, uh, of what the Lord and the Lord alone can do in our hearts and lives. So let's, let's utter this prayer together this morning. Ready? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. Amen? All right. Luke chapter 2 this morning. Several years ago, I preached a message at Christmas called Christmas in the Key of C. And so I'm going to preach, use that same title, except kind of revise the sermon. And that's the wonderful thing about the Bible, is that um, you can preach a lot from the same passage, uh, passage of Scripture. And so several years ago when I preached this, I, uh, I, this text, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 21, uh, we looked at uh, four C's from the Christmas story. And so what I want to do this morning is uh, I want to revisit this text and show you more C's in the Christmas story. So let's read the text together this morning, right? Don't, you know, listen, the, the easy thing to do right now is to not engage your mind, all right? Because you've heard this story so many times. And it's just to overlook it. It's just to kind of, you know, be somewhat tuned in, but be more tuned out than you are tuned in. It's just kind of let the words kind of blow by you or, or wash over you, but really not to penetrate your mind or your heart at all. So let, let's not do that this morning, okay? Let's, let's try to read it as though we've never heard it. So it starts this way. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. This was the first registration or tax when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Bethlehem, by the way, means city of bread. To be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes 
and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field doing what shepherds do, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I like just how the Bible just, just says it. <laughs> an angel appeared. I mean, think about how you would respond if an angel appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they acted just like we did would. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for you, that will be for all, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, singular, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love Christmas season because it forces me to be reminded again of the depth of Christ's condescension for a rebel like me. The depth is infinite because my sin is infinite. And His righteousness is infinite because His value is infinite. What a striking scene in Luke's gospel. It captures a moment that changes the world. This is a pivotal moment in the history of all of mankind. That God himself becomes a man like one of us. It's filled with irony and theological beauty. There is Mary, the mother of Jesus, wrapping the second person of the Trinity in swaddling clothes. I mean, think about it. God the Son wrapped as a tiny infant small enough to be held by one hand, the God of the universe. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because, 
again, there was no room for them in the end. The Son of God became the Son of a virgin. The Creator comes to dwell with His creation. The one, according, listen, Job 38, 9, we're not going to have it on the screen, but Job 38, 9 says that God swaddled the stars with darkness. And now the same God who swaddled the stars with darkness is now clothed in the cloth as a baby. Christ the Lord, God, becomes a man and dwells among us, according to John 1.14. We cannot stare long at the manger before it begins to change. Informed by the rest of Scripture, we begin to see the looming shadow of the cross emerge upon it. Matthew 1.21, which is right before Matthew's account of the Christmas story, says that Jesus was born to die. We are all born to die, right? Everybody that's born will die. But nobody has ever been born to die as Jesus died. We see the baby here swaddled in rags, but in due time he will be clothed in the rags of our sin. He did this so that we could be vested with his infinite merit, his his. His goodness became our goodness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His perfection becomes our perfection. Jesus, who was wrapped in these garments of humility, dresses His children in the merits of His righteousness. You see, none of us are good, not, no, not one, and, and there's no one who is good enough on their own because none of us are good to get into heaven. So Jesus had to come again and be what we couldn't be so that we could be what he created us to be in the beginning. I have tagged this morning's text, Christmas in the key of C. And the reason why is because the key of C is the most used key in music composition. And this morning's truths are common and begin with the letter C. No new truths, only more serious reflection on what we already know. So here we go. Uh, let me. Christmas reminds me that God controls everything. Christmas reminds me that God controls everything. Where do I take that from the text? That's what you should ask yourselves. Where, where, where in the text does it tell me that God is in control of everything? Well, the very first verse, it's not explicit, but it is implicit in the text. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You see, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said that the Messiah would be born in the city of bread. The bread of life would be born in the city of bread. But Joseph, whom God had chose to be the earthly father of Jesus, and Mary, the chosen one, uh, uh, the, the, the chosen woman to birth the Messiah into the world, both lived in Galilee. But because God controls everything, it was not going to be any problem 
for him to get people that live in Galilee down to Bethlehem. 90 miles is the distance between Galilee and Bethlehem. The Bible says in Daniel 2.21 that he, God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Why, why is that verse there? Because God is controlling those who are in power. And Caesar Augustus comes to power at this particular time in the world, in Syria, to serve God's greater purpose of decreeing a tax, no less, that would send Mary and Joseph out of Galilee back to Bethlehem. You may ask the question, why doesn't God just find a man and a woman in Bethlehem? Why does he have to go all the way up to Galilee to find this man and woman? Well, here's something that I've learned about God over the years. This is not going to be on the screen, but it might be worth you writing down in your Bible or on a sheet of paper. And that is simply this. God is more interested in declaring than, than explaining God is far more interested in declaring than explaining. Matter of fact, if you read the Bible, what you're going to find a lot in the Bible is that not, is God not explaining everything that he does. He's just declaring what he's going to do. And for some of us, uh, our hang-up or our issue with God may be we don't, you know, we don't like the fact that God doesn't explain himself more than he does. Or, or we're waiting for God to explain himself about certain events and situations in our life or in our world. And I just want to tell you something this morning. The God of the universe does not have to explain himself to, to anyone. He simply declares what will be. And what we must do is live by faith. Twenty-something years ago, when I was going through a very difficult time in my life and I was trying to get God to explain some of the events in my life, the Lord, in His providence, allowed me to come across a book. And in that book, the author, I don't remember anything else the author said in that book except for this one sentence. And he said these words, explanations are poor substitutes for faith. Faith says, God, I don't understand what, you, what you're doing, but I know that you're good, and therefore I'm going to follow. Therefore I'm going to trust. Why? Because I don't need an explanation when I know that Everything that you do for your people is for their good and your glory. That's enough for me. There's not one square inch in the whole world domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Matthew chapter 2, verses 
1 through 15 says these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard of this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, this is Micah 5, 2, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will be, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until, they came, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw a child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And God is in control. We say that a lot in this church, but it can never be said enough because we live in a world that constantly tries to make us believe that life is random, life is out of control, life is nothing but a roll of a dice, it's chance, it's luck, it's good fortune. And life is anything but that. Life is under the sovereign hand of a good and gracious God. And we may not always interpret what He is doing as good and gracious, but I promise you, when the story is complete, only one truth will be evident, that He is good. And everything that He's ever done is good because He can't do anything but what He is, and that is good. Christmas also reminds me that God completes His promises. God completes His promises. Anybody in here got some broken promises? Anybody in here ever broke some promises? Well, Christmas reminds us that God doesn't break His promises. It's there in verses 3 and 4, and, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up uh, from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and the lineage of David. Now, now again, it's not necessarily, you know, explicit about God's promises, but it's implicit there, because all of that reminds us of what we read in uh, that I quoted to you from Micah 5, 2, that this is where Jesus was to be born, that, that God had promised in the Old Testament all of these specific promises concerning the Messiah, concerning the Savior of the world. And, and listen to me. Let, me. let me share something with you, with you this morning that will absolutely blow your mind. There are over 300 prophecies concerning the life of Jesus, not just the birth of Jesus, but the entire life of Jesus from death I mean, from birth till death. Peter Stoner, who wrote a book called Science Speaks, uh, did research, and he said this. He said that the chances that, that any one of these 300 prophecies to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus, the mathematical probability is... One to, the, I mean, it's 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you've taken high school math, you know that uh, exponents there, that what you do is that's, that 17 is zeros that come after the 10. So 10 to the 17th power. We can't wrap our mind around that number. I can't even, I can't even say that number to you this morning, but I can tell you this, that that number would be equal to taking, a ha taking half dollars and filling the state of Texas two feet deep in half dollars. That's one, I mean, that's 10 to the 17th power. Anybody ever been to Texas? Anybody ever driven through Texas? You don't drive through Texas in a day. Texas... Is a big state. And Stoner said, fill the state of Texas two and a half feet deep with silver dollars, put an X on a silver dollar, blindfold somebody, and, and, and allow them to walk through the state of Texas and give them one opportunity to find the half dollar with the X on it, and that is the same probability that one prophecy could be fulfilled in the life of the Messiah. Well, I got good news for you. God made over 300 promises concerning the Messiah. And if you had time this morning and you had the desire this morning, we could sit down and have a good old Bible study and find all 300 plus promises made and promises kept. If God is a promise-keeping God, then why do you and I roll into this Christmas season plagued by doubts? Concerning God's goodness. Concerning the Lord's ability to care for us and provide for us. 
and to sustain us and to secure us. Listen, he made a promise that he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And that's a promise that he intends to keep. And he has a track record of keeping those promises. Thirdly, Christmas reveals that Christianity is challenging. <laughs> Any Christians in here this morning find your faith challenging? Difficult? Hard? Look at verses 4 through 6. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, look, with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I said earlier that from Galilee to Bethlehem, it was 90 miles How many of y'all know that if your wife was ready to give birth, a 90-mile car, car ride might be very difficult? Much less a 90-mile ride on a donkey that probably at best they averaged 10 miles per day, meaning that it took them probably somewhere between 9 and 10 days to make it which meant that they camped at night. I know some women find it difficult to sleep at night when pregnant on nice plush beds. Could you imagine how difficult it must have been to try to find comfort and sleep in some very difficult terrain? It is said that the hazard were, hazards were many, wild animals, bandits, desert robbers, all of these were, all of these and more factored into the nature of the trip. It is said that the valley of, of the Jordan River, which they crossed through, was a forested refuge for lions, bears, and wild boars. Archaeologists have uncovered signs warning travelers of these dangers. <laughs> Just the kind of trip you want to take with a pregnant wife. Did God not know all of that in advance? Sure he did. Did he know how hard the journey was going to be? Sure he did. Did he, know, did, he, did he know the danger that lurked around every corner? Sure he did. Listen, our faith is not meant to get us out of, hard out of a hard place or change our painful condition. Rather, it is meant to reveal God's faithfulness to us in the midst of our dire, our dire situation. Amen? Hey, they went 90 miles through some of the most dangerous and treacherous territory on this planet, and there's not one story of them facing one millisecond of danger, though they were surrounded by danger constantly. The Lord preserved them. The Lord took them 
all the way from Galilee to Bethlehem. Our faith is challenging. It's difficult. But listen, if you have a faith that has no challenges, you don't have real faith. And the other part of it is, if your faith is never challenged, if it never goes through difficulties, then how in the world will you ever know that God is who He says He is? How do you know that He's faithful? How do you know that He is the sovereign God of the universe? It is in the midst of our dire situations that God reveals to us His faithfulness. And then lastly this morning, Christmas does this. Christmas reinforces Christ's claim. Christmas reinforces Christ's claim. I'm going to give you several Bible verses here that reinforce this greatest claim. Jesus made a lot of claims. This is his greatest. These are his greatest. Like if you said, what's, what, what's, some of the, what's the top claims of Jesus? Well, here they are. Well, let me read. Let me, let me kind of tell you where it comes from out of the text. Then I'm going to give you some other verses. And in the same region, there were shepherds out on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were fear, filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news. What is that? That's the gospel. The euangelion. The, 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 the good news. That's going to do what? It's going to be a great joy. For who? Anybody that will receive it. Why? Because there's born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's some other of Jesus' top verses. He says, he came, John says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them right to become the children of God. Jesus says, whoever will believe on me, I give them right. I empower them to become children of God. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives, gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, look at what Jesus says. I will never cast them out. Jesus is not in the business of rejecting people. He is in the business of receiving people. And who? What kind of people? The kind of people that he came to on that first night. Shepherds, the, the lowest of low in the, on the occupational scale in, in, in Jewish society. The nobodies, the outcasts. The gospel first went to the lowest before it ever went to the highest. Why? Because Jesus came for everyone. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light. Jesus says, just anyone who will come to me. You see, the truth of it is this morning is that anybody in the world can experience the reality of Christmas in their life because Jesus came for everyone. But listen, to experience Christmas, though, 
to experience the reality of who Jesus is, you must take a step of faith and admit that you are the kind of person that Jesus came for. A sinner. Someone who has rebelled against God. Someone who has lived their own way of living. Someone who has you know, lived your life you know, with, without respect to God. Only, only people that Jesus can save are the people who will admit themselves to be the kind of people Jesus came to save, and that is sinners. And so if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to make that confession and then follow that confession by saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'm the sinner, you're the Savior, the only hope that I have of being right with God and of one day living with God in eternity forever is that you would save me from my sin. And if you'll make that confession of faith, then you know what the Bible says? That you are now what the Bible calls saved, redeemed, rescued, delivered, forgiven, adopted. That means those words is all that's necessary to bring you from being outside of God's family to being in God's family. And here's the beautiful thing about Adoption, that's the language the Bible uses about being adopted into God's family, is that once he brings you into his family, he keeps you in that family forever. And then he spends the rest of your earthly days transforming you and making you more into the image of his son. How? Through the challenges of faith. But listen, not only can anyone experience Christmas, but Here's my close. Anyone can explain Christmas. Anyone can explain it. You don't have to, you don't have to be a theologian to explain Christmas. Right? When Jesus left, what did he say in Genesis? I mean, in Matthew 28, he says, I get all authority has been given to me. Now, what, what's what he says? He says, now I'm going to give it all to you. So as you are living out your life, go therefore, as you are going into this world, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this message of the gospel and I want you to simply to go into the world and explain that to the world. And the beautiful part of it is, is that Jesus says, and while you are doing this, I am going to be with you every step of the way. When you speak for me, you will never speak without me. When, when you open up your mouth to explain the Christmas story, you don't have to worry about knowing it all. All you, need to, all you need to know is this. Open up your mouth to explain the story and I'll meet you right there and I will help you to explain the story. Jesus says, I don't need somebody polished and I, and, I, and I don't need somebody that can necessarily dot every I and cross every T. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Jesus says, what I, what I need is I need a group of people who have experienced Christmas who will now take the experience of Christmas and go into the world and explain it to anybody and everybody that they come in contact with because they believe anybody can experience Christmas. I want to leave you with this this story. In an article in Fortune magazine, David Whitforth wrote of a shocking discovery prior to his father's death that his dad had amassed a six-figure debt on high-interest credit cards. There had been clues that his father was having financial problems, but 
when Whitford had tried to talk about it, his father immediately changed the subject. At one point, Whitford writes, he put his hands over his ears and he made a humming noise. Yet two days after his death, Whitford found these words scrawled on his father's desk. Listen to these words. Help me, I am drowning. You see, Whitford's story illustrates a tragic reality. There is little we can do for those who refuse our help. Listen, we can't make people believe in Jesus. I, I left that way of living a long time ago, trying to argue with people and twist people's arms and, and, and browbeat people or, 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 or mess with people's emotions to get them to believe in Jesus. I left that behind a long time ago. Listen, you can't do anything to make anybody believe in Jesus. Listen, all you and I are required to do, our command is to explain salvation. Their experience of salvation is Christ's work. Our command is to explain the experience of salvation. Our experience of the Christmas story. Their experience of salvation will be Christ's work. Listen, church. There'll never be a time like the Christmas season to explain what you've experienced. Why? Because probably outside of funerals, Christmas and Easter are still two times where families gather and people gather. And they're open to spiritual conversations. They're open to hearing about Jesus. And so this Christmas season, as you gather with family, friends, co-workers, whoever it might be at Christmas uh, uh, gatherings. Take an opportunity to explain your experience so that others might. And you might say, well, they've heard the gospel a thousand times. They may have. And it may be the thousand and one time that they actually hear it. Amen? Amen? Let me, let me close with this. Just ask you guys a question. How many times did you hear the message of salvation before you believed? And aren't you glad somebody didn't look out there and say, well, there's old Ron. He's heard it. I don't know how. He's been going to church since he was in diapers. He's heard about Jesus. Being on, if he hadn't believed already, he'll never believe. You never know when the next time is the time. Because listen, here's what I will tell you. If somebody hears it with the aid of the Holy Spirit, not with the aid of the things stuck on the side of their head, they hear it with the help of the Holy Spirit, guess what will happen? They will believe. Why? Because the Bible says people who don't know the Lord cannot understand spiritual matters without the Lord. And so let's keep explaining because, listen, here's what I do know. There are still lots of people who need to experience 
salvation. Father in heaven, as we come to a close this morning, Christmas brings a lot of, a lot of memories, reminds us, reveals to us, reinforces to us many great truths. But Father, really none greater than the last truth. And that is we, we, we're, we are either people who need to experience the reality of Christmas and salvation or we are people that need to explain again to people the reality of Christmas. And whatever, whatever camp we find ourselves in this morning, Father, if we, if we need to experience, I, I pray as I've already shared, the experience of Christmas is, 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 is easy. It really is. We just must admit that we are the kind of people that you came for. Declare ourselves to be that. Look to you saying, because we are who we are, and you are who you are, only you can save us from, from our situation. And the only way to be right with God, and the only way to live with God forever, is by admitting that and asking Jesus to save us. And then if we're in the camp of the already experienced, then Father, ignite a fire in our heart. Not to hold that experience in our heart, but to explain from our heart that experience to others. Father, in these moments ahead, do what only you can do in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing one more song together this morning.